For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is up, everybody? This is Kevin Borba here, the host of Believe's newest and hottest college football podcast, The Tailgaters. Joining me is my good friend Sergio de la Esperea. Sergio is a renowned college football fan, and he is ready to rub some salt into my wounds today. Are you ready to rub salt into my wounds, Sergio? <laughs> I'm not ready to rub salt in your wounds, but I'm definitely ready to talk about college football. I, I would consider myself an almost professional football watcher uh, of the college variety. And so, uh, yeah, I'm ready to get into this. Let's do this. Let's do it. Okay, so starting off with the biggest story of the week, down goes Alabama. The Titan fell. The The Nick Saban rat poison university fell. They lost to Texas A&M, who was unranked and had almost lost to Colorado and had a backup quarterback. So what do you make of this interesting... Hey, Johnny Manziel was there, though. So what do you make of this loss? <laughs> I think this loss for Alabama is could have been telegraphed. I think at the beginning of the season and throughout the first few weeks of the season, Nick Saban was very adamant to say, hey, this team is not like other teams in the past. Um, when they went into the swamp, you could tell that the atmosphere really affected them. Um, they ended up leaving that game with a victory, but it was close and they could have lost the game. Um yeah, I think they just finally got got, you know, um, Bryce Young is good. I like him, but you can still see that he's very young. He he doesn't respond well um, to interior pressure is what I've noticed. So if you kind of throw some defensive linemen or maybe throw a linebacker in a blitz, you're going to get to him. He's going to make some mistakes. And I also think that in the second half, while Alabama completely controlled the second half, like flipped the script completely, they had, I think, 45 plays in the second half and at one point, uh, Texas A&M had only run like 10 plays in the entire half with like six minutes left in the game. Um, I feel like Alabama was playing like they they had a confidence of like, OK, we're going to win this game. It's just a matter of when it's going to happen. And you can see that they like kicked a couple short field goals within like the 10, 15 yard line um, in the second half. And, you know, if they kind of go for it, maybe they get those touchdowns and they win the football game. So I think it's a combination of a young football team. Um, they're good. Listen, I mean. It's a factory over in Tuscaloosa. Nick Saban is is the lifeblood there. And, you know, Nick Saban finally has something legitimate to complain about to his football team. So <laughs> um, he does. I think uh, I think they'll bounce back. But credit to Texas A&M and the fans and the atmosphere and the team for fighting and all that. And um, Calzada, you know, looked like he may have like torn his ACL or something at the end. Of I, the thought game. Broke, I thought and he broke. I thought he broke his ankle. <laughs> I thought I thought yeah, he broke his knee. I was like back one way. Yeah, I thought he broke his ankle, tore his ACL. Next thing I know, they're they're showing a backup lefty kid who's never played in college. And then next thing I know, Zach Cousette is back out there dropping dimes on a wheel route on the sideline. Yeah, and you could see that like Alabama's secondary isn't up to speed to what a normal Nick Saban secondary looks like. And I think that's just a lot to do with inexperience. Um, maybe Saban's right. You know, maybe Saban's right. If Saban, I'll take his word for things. You know, maybe his secondary is 
a bit younger and the defense isn't as developed as they want to be at that point in the season. So I don't know. This is seems like it could be the fire that lights underneath um, all of their behinds and, and kind of run off with the rest of it. So we'll see. We'll see how yeah. it goes. But credit to AM, credit to the atmosphere. And uh, that's kind of why I think Alabama lost the game. Um, I am surprised because I did think they would pull through. Um, but I'm not shocked. You know what I mean? I kind of could see it coming. There were a lot of signs now in hindsight, right? Not in the moment, but in right. hindsight, there were a lot of signs for Alabama throughout the season. As you, oh, okay, somewhere they're going to slip up. They happen to slip up against AM when Johnny Manziel was in attendance. Coincidence? I think not. So I think not. But some one thing I'll say is you were saying that Alabama thought they were going to win this game. Honestly, I thought that they were going to come back and win the game. There was plays where Texas A&M was lined up in the red zone on defense and nobody was guarding Jamison Williams. He's standing over there by himself, just like, hello. And then of course they throw it to him. Like, why wouldn't they? Exactly. And then, yeah. but the thing that stood out to me was the pressure that you mentioned that Texas A&M got on Bryce Young. Cause they got to him four times. Um, they even had, they had five quarterback hurries too. So they had a total of nine legitimate times. I'm sure they had more like moving the pocket and stuff, but like nine legit right. times where they put him on his back or they got in his face like when he was trying to throw. And Bryce Young is a smaller guy. Um, he reminds me a lot of Kyler Murray because of his short stature and his ability to run. But I honestly think he's might be shorter than Kyler Murray, which is fine until it's not. It's fine until the, <laughs> the interior defensive line is collapsing and you can't see where exactly. you're throwing. And then something that also st- stood out to me was a special teams touchdown. I think one of the biggest things in chaos in college football is if you could generate any success on special teams, you're going to win the game or you're going to have a good chance of winning the game because they ran back a 96 yard touchdown. And what kind of like that's the biggest momentum lifter ever because that boosts everybody. The, the crowd's high. Texas A&M, Kyle Stadium or Kyle Field was 106,000 people deep yesterday. Yeah, it was the second biggest crowd in Kyle Field history. I mean, it makes sense. And like, you know how they you know how they rock with their weird military cult thing? Like they they go deep. They're they are there. Listen, but we, yeah. we make fun of them. We make fun of them a lot because it is kind of culty. But hey, you can't say it doesn't produce results because they have beaten Alabama twice at home in the past few years. And I think the only other program that can say that is Ole Miss, I believe. Or you know, maybe Auburn. Auburn. So yeah, you know, very uh, when it went their way, like you said, that momentum shift was was a big deal, and the fact that they went into halftime with such a lead, you know, it was kind of it was kind of like uh, in soccer we call it parking the bus when a team unexpectedly scores a goal, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, everyone is going to just stand in front of our own goal and defend that one nothing lead for the next sixty minutes. It's kind of absolutely. How you want to hear a fun stat? So always, always, I, Nick Saban is now twenty four and one. As against his uh, former assistant coaches, Jimbo Fisher being the, the one. Um, mm-hmm. I, did, I didn't think this loss would ever come. Like, I feel like we knew it would come eventually, but I thought it would have been to Kirby Smart or maybe like Lane Kiffin. Like, Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M with a backup quarterback was not not, not on my bingo card. And so, then so, also... So Jimbo Fisher was on my bingo card, just not with Calzada as a backup in a year yeah. where they're unranked in three and two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then this is also the first time an unranked team has beaten the number one AP team since 2008. Ooh. Oh, so sh- shout out to Nick Saban, always making history. Am I right? Moving on, <laughs> moving on to another SEC battle, soon to be SEC battle, obviously. Thank you. Thank you. Um, my Texas Longhorns, we pulled a Golden State Warrior, like Atlanta Falcon level of blowing a lead. Like 
no, we were up. no, 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 you didn't. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Let me let me stop you before you start putting in personal bias in here. You were up twenty eight to seven in the first quarter, correct? And then at halftime, I believe you were up by eleven. Was it thirty one to twenty? I believe at halftime. Correct. We were up thirty eight to twenty. Right, and and it wasn't an Atlanta Falcons esque twenty seven to three with two minutes left in the third. No, no, no. The lead was cut throughout the time. The biggest lead was a twenty eight to seven, correct? But yes. the lead was cut throughout the game. So go ahead and continue. But I just, just I wanted to that's make that's that what it felt for the listeners. That's, that's what it emotionally felt like being from California and watching that Warriors finals collapse like firsthand. Like it felt mm-hmm. like I'm not comparing Texas to either of those teams. Both those teams were in championship position. But the way in which we had the lead, like people were tweeting that we were back. Like Texas was back for a legit quarter maybe even half like we were that was the texas program that people have been expecting for the past decade and it was like oh shoot they might have done it but here's the thing we were really good against spencer rattler but then they put in a young quarterback who hasn't played a legitimate football game since 2019 because his senior season of football was canceled caleb williams literally torched us like he his first play from scrimmage he took a carry on fourth and one 66 yards for a touchdown with his legs um freak athlete Freak cannon. Oh my god. He doesn't have the touch yet. He, like, he had the throw of the year. He had he the throw of the year with the touchdown pass in the fourth quarter. That was a great catch, too. I, I gotta get I think I'm giving that more to the receiver because that was an amazing catch. But Caleb Williams has a cannon. No, 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 but, like, but he the placement of the ball. That's the that's ball right. Placement that's was right. fantastic. And he was scrambling out the pocket, finding it, threw it on the run across. It, it was incredible. It was incredible. Yeah, but like like the the scary part is there was times where his receivers bailed him out. Because his throws were like, he definitely has a velocity, but it doesn't seem like he could control, like, I'm going to put a little arc, arch under this and it's going to land right in the breadbasket. Like, he's like, nope, this is going 100 miles per hour and you, you either catch it or you don't. But mm-hmm. the crazy thing is, I could tell that as soon as he came in, I could tell the script had flipped because our defense went from really confident and stopping, like, Oklahoma on basically everything to, like, they look like they didn't game plan for, the, which they obviously didn't. They didn't game plan for Caleb Williams. I don't think they expected... Spencer Rattler to come out of the game, which Spencer Rattler, I think his time as the Oklahoma starter, maybe even as an Oklahoma player, is done. But Texas defense did not expect for that to happen. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think in this game, I think that was the big difference. Um, Spencer Rattler has had a problem all season long with throwing into bad coverages. Um, he's thrown into double and triple coverage. He's kind of having more faith on his arm than I think he needs to at this point. Um, and like I said, I think we talked in, we, we've talked to you and I before about how Oklahoma has an offensive line issue and it's not really an issue. It's just reverting back to the regressing back to the mean because they had a lot of NFL talent on that offensive line over the past few years. And now they don't. And I think what you're seeing now is Spencer Rattler having to make throws and process things quicker. Um, and because he's not used to that, he's making those mistakes, right? So a lot of people say, like, when you go from college to the NFL, what's the number one thing that's different? The speed, right? Everything's so much faster. You have to process things quicker. And that's where you can tell a great college quarterback versus a great professional quarterback. I think because um, Oklahoma kind of set him up so well last year with a great offensive line, he didn't have to make those decisions as quickly. Now he does. Clearly, it seemed to be a bit too much for him. So he gets replaced. And like you said, look, I agree he had a bit of a velocity problem, but Caleb looked like a guy who, like you said, hasn't played football since 2019 legitimately in a game. But with all that being said, the talent and the attributes and the traits are all there. He is, 
I agree with you. I think he needs to be the starter going forward, especially because it seems like he has the whole playbook under his arm. It seemed like they weren't really differing away and kind of dumbing down the playbook for him, which is always a good sign. That's with the, as a Florida fan, there was this whole conversation about Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones earlier this season. And while I think Anthony Richardson is the better quarterback of the two, the better, the more talented player, Emory has the entire playbook under his belt and can command an offense while Anthony Richardson, um, you know, doesn't have that yet and still needs to grow into that. Everyone's different. Caleb seems like he has that under his belt. So I agree with you. I think he needs to go in there and with the transfer rules now, how they are, I, I don't see how Spencer Rattler, because he's good. He's a good mm-hmm. quarterback, but he he's not good enough to be the starting quarterback for a national championship contender that Oklahoma is and what they expect to be, especially with Caleb sitting behind him right there. Well, um, I want to say something about Texas real quick. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say I know about Caleb Williams. Ahead, no, you go. You go first. Okay, Caleb Williams, they, I think he opened their playbook more. Like, he had the, the full playbook and then some because they were not running these direct snaps to the running backs where they would fake pitch it to him or, like, he would, like, give them, like, a little option, like, a little counter, op- like, option with them. Mm-hmm. I think they ju- the offense with Caleb Williams just makes Oklahoma more dynamic than, like, they were with Spencer Rattler. Like, I think it's just that simple. Like, Spencer Rattler, he can run, but he doesn't – like, he's he's going to throw the ball. He wants to throw the ball. Caleb Williams yeah. is like, okay, no one's open. I'm going to take off. And I think that's yeah. where Oklahoma thrived in the past. It was with Even with Baker Mayfield, he would take off and run. Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, they would all take off and run. And I think the biggest issue with Spencer Rattler is he's he will do it, but it's not like he wants to. And so Caleb yeah, Williams Spencer, is someone who... Spencer, Spencer leans on his arm while the other players that you just listed know when to use their legs. I'm not going to say those players leaned on their legs, but they knew when to use right. their legs. And it seems like Spencer's always trying to force that throw when mm-hmm. maybe the best option is just tuck it and run for seven yards, six yards, and then live to see another day. So right, and then um, I do want to say, I do want to say something about Texas. Go ahead, go ahead, go on. I know Texas fans, it's difficult right now. You were up twenty-seven to eight. Mm. You lost to your biggest rival. Momentum flipped. It 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 feels bad right now, but I think this is one of the better things that could have happened to Texas, and here's why. You showed that with Sark, with the game plan, with the pr- preparation, and with the game, with the players that you have, with a guy like B. John Robinson. Um, I, th- I liked Casey Thompson a lot yesterday. I really did. I think that you have a future. I think that you can develop there. What happened in the second half was just the residuals from Tom Herman. We joked, we were texting yesterday, and we joked that we said, this is a very Tom Herman game where, you know, all of a sudden it feels good, it feels good, and then just the bottom falls out and it feels horrible. It was a very Tom Herman game, but it's good to see that there are signs of Sark. So I know it hurts right now, but you have the young players to do to go with. While Casey Thompson is a junior, he has, I think, three more years of eligibility left because of COVID and all this other stuff. Bijan Robinson is a sophomore. You have him for at least another season, and then probably not after that because he's probably going to get drafted. Um, so have patience. It's working out in this way. As a Florida fan, I can only akin it to when Florida lost to Kentucky in Mullen's first season. And that was the best thing that could have happened to that football team and to the Florida program because it set them up for success in the future and it showed them. It was one of those, like, remember how I make fun of the players that kind of, like, watch the award ceremonies afterwards to, like, see the trophy presentations. And then people were like, oh, people were like, oh, that's the player that's going to do damage next year. It's like, no, just you lost, okay? It hurts even more whether you're standing there, whether you're in the locker room, all right? Whatever. Stop trying to pose for the Instagram and for the tweets. But – that feeling is true, you know? 
I may make fun of the performance aspect of it, but the feeling itself is true. And I think that's something that Texas can hone because there was a lot that I liked about Texas yesterday. Offensively, defensively, there were improvements. This team has come a long way from that loss to Arkansas. Okay. The loss to Arkansas, you were done at the beginning. It was over from, from the first whistle. Here, there was fight. There was a rivalry game, the atmosphere. And like you said, Texas was back for a quarter. I think Texas fans need to stop considering they need to throw away the whole back because you're never going to get back to Vince Young. You're never going to get back to Vince Young. It's never going to happen. You need to start living a new life and seeing of what the good that can happen in the future that's completely different from its own and not compare it to what happened with Vince Young in that national title run. So Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a couple things I want to hit on before we move on to Ole Miss, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um, Spencer Rattler won. I think the thing that sucks the most for him, seeing him struggle – I'm not, I'm not even a Texas fan or an Oklahoma fan, but just seeing him struggle, like you could tell it emotionally hurt him. Um, you could tell the Oklahoma like sideline was hyped when Caleb came in. You could, the Oklahoma fans were literally chanting for him again. They were chanting F you Spencer Rattler. And you could just tell like, which, I, I don't which know by we, the way, like I'm, I'm all for cheering and wanting the backup and stuff, but like, you don't got to do that to Spencer. Like he's, yeah, no. he's 21 years old and yeah, he's making mistakes, but he's trying out there. Like, have, yeah, come on guys. Like have some, I, I agree. But like you could tell, and and, and Oklahoma is a classy fan base. It's just like I just have some class in that sense. Yeah, but you could tell that was hurting him. Um, He wasn't celebrating after the game. I don't know if you saw it. There's a video on Twitter, which it could have also been the coaches not wanting him to be interviewed. But he instantly went to the locker room by himself and did not remain on the field with the team. I didn't see that. Yeah, there is a video. It could have been a a doctored angle, but there is a video of him walking to the locker room by himself, and so that's tough. And then also. You could just tell that I think the team's happier with Caleb. I think the team, like Marvin Mims. The, the who, team just plays better with, with yeah, Caleb. Yeah, exactly. Like Marvin Mims is a perfect example because he caught his first touchdown pass of the year yesterday. And last season he was, he ha, like he has the potential to be a first team All-American, like first round receiver. And he had he didn't have yeah, a touchdown pass, t- t- touchdown catch until yesterday. And it's because they haven't been able to access that deep throw yet. And that's because Caleb Williams has a better arm. He's able to move more and create for those guys on the run because they are able to get open more. And that was just something that I think, unfortunately for Spencer Rattler, his time at Oklahoma has done. But moving on to Texas, like you said, Casey Thompson played a hell of a game. Um, I thought he broke his hand for a second. And there was a, a hit from, I yeah. think it was Nick Nick Benito. I thought that was his throwing hand. I thought he was done. It gave me Russell Wilson vibes from last week's um, NFL season. Yeah. And yeah, so I was like, oh no. And then I was like, here we go with Hudson Cardigan, which I have no issue with. It was just like, Hudson, I hope you're ready to come back and like play. And so... <laughs> I think, like you said, it was a, a good experience for Texas because we experienced that success, but we also experienced that failure. And I think the best moments are taught through failure. And so, again, I thought, the, like we talked about um, before, I thought the Arkansas game was a fall on our face game. Maybe this is our fall on our face game. Um, it was national. But, but here's the thing. You didn't fall on your face this game. But you, it's okay. You fell. We did, we did hurt, a little bit. But we did a little bit. No, and no, I think no. But that's the, the thing. thing that, I don't think you guys need to look at this in that negative of a light. Where yeah, it sucks and it's your rival. But fall on your face is getting boat raced on both sides of the line of scrimmage by Arkansas and having right. Casey Thompson go out there in garbage time to get reps. That's getting falling on your face. This Oklahoma game is not falling on your face. You got hit. You fell. You lost. But you have some stuff that you can hold on to. There's no moral victory. That's true. But this is something that you can build upon. You know what I mean? That's true. And then so here is a moral victory, although you just said there's no moral victory. The Big 12. The, no, this is just conference-wise. The Big 12 is the one conference where you can lose a game, if not two, and still be in the Big 12 championship. 
Um, Very true. Because everybody plays everybody, and we are the only conference that does that because um, we only have 10 teams, unlike the name says. So we do play Oklahoma State next week, and that'll be an interesting game. But we, there is still opportunity for Texas to avenge this loss and maybe maybe catch Oklahoma on the flip side. So, Speaking so let, of, me, let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. When when you win, you're in the SEC. But when you lose, it's, hey, guys, it's okay. We can still make the Big 12 title game, right? You pick no, and choose your just, conference depending on the results? Is that what it hey, is? Wh- whatever makes me look good, whatever whatever, whatever feels right at the moment. Like that was, I feel like that was – It just means more. Just say it. More. Just it just means more. <laughs> There's a reason that game day was there. It just means more, you know? <laughs> it just means more. <laughs> okay, so a team that nobody expected to be that good. Um, at least not not that I was aware of. I don't think there was a lot of people on the Arkansas hype train at the beginning of the year. They start off the season hot. They beat us, uh, Texas, and then they continue to win. And then they lost Alabama or they lost to Georgia. Who doesn't? And then they play an, a really good Ole Miss team, and they took them down to the wire. And let me tell you, yeah. I want to get props. They didn't take them down to the wire. They went shot for shot with Ole Miss. Yes, and I want to get props, major props to KJ Jefferson because. He had a career high 326 passing yards. He had never thrown for 300 yards against a power five team. Like the kid went off with his arm because we accredited his legs, which obviously he ran 20 times for 85 yards and three touchdowns. Go figure. But he combined for six touchdowns by himself. And so honestly, their, 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 their winning hopes came down to, I think what could have been a better call two point conversion. Yes, I agree. Hindsight, it could have been a better hindsight's, call. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but I just I'm never a fan of rolling out towards the boundary in the red zone because you're literally eliminating a whole side of the field for you to score. Yeah. No, no, I get that. I get that. And I agree with that statement. It's just I think we're I think that's a little bit of revisionist history. Because when you look at the play call, it was what, like you said, a rollout is a two point conversion, which by the way, before we get into the play call, Sam Pittman. I am the conductor of the Sam Pittman hype train, hype train. I'm like you. I did not expect Arkansas to be like this at the beginning of the season, but I did expect to see Sam Pittman do some good stuff. And I, and I think that that is something that is happening. Um, I am driving that hype train. Um, my co-host Tyler on Sideline Judgment, which is another college football podcast that you should subscribe and listen to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Judgment with an E. Um, he, we have said that like Sam Pittman is, is a dog and he's getting the most out of Arkansas. If you look at the play call, though, they scored a touchdown in a similar spot on the field on the opposite end zone. So, and it worked, and it was, and their receiver was wide open. So, I understand Sam Pittman going, you know what? Hey, remember that touchdown from the third quarter on the opposite end that worked, and he was wide open. Let's run that, get the two point, and let's get let's go back home to Fayetteville. So, hindsight is twenty twenty. I agree with you in theory that you have to be able to use the entire field. You're kind of right. limiting yourself when you do that kind of play call. Listen, every two point conversion I run on NCAA, I run HB angle. Let me get that running back in. Boom, boom, get the drop it down. Two points. We're in there. So See, I'm, I'm, I would have run that. Slants. I'm a quick slants type quick of guy. Slants guy. Never. The same concept, I, right? I swear to God, if you throw, if you throw a goal line fade, the goal line fade is literally the least successful play in the red zone. I, it makes me angry. Something Listen. I like to Arkansas had unless, the game un- in the unless back. you have unless you have Megatron or <laughs> Julio Jones on your roster, do not throw the goal line fade. Just don't do it. If you have Just one don't play, do don't it. do it. And we're, I'm not saying that we disagree. We're not saying that we disagree with their decision to go for two. I love that. I just it was the play that they, they ran is what rubbed me the wrong way. But again, hindsight's 2020. Maybe the running back freeze open. Like 
the offensive line doesn't give up as much pressure. But Arkansas really had this game, I think, in their control. They had they controlled the possession by over nine minutes. They if they didn't, they had a fumble and an interception. They had two turnovers, mm-hmm. and I think obviously turnovers. If you win the turnover battle, turnover battle, you're likely to win the game. And Ole Miss did win the game, but I think you eliminate one of those turnovers from Arkansas, and it's a it's a new game. And I think that again, hypothetically speaking, because obviously they did have two turnovers, but it was impressive. I did like after the we, the loss against Georgia, I was kind of worried that Arkansas maybe was a flash in the pan. Um, I know they were a really good team, but I was worried that like oh maybe they just benefited from like Texas not knowing who their quarterback was and not having an identity. Maybe they just benefited from not having to play like the gauntlet of the SEC yet. But then right. they bounced back. They almost be a really good Ole Miss team who's led by probably the best quarterback in the nation, Matt Corral, who me, me and you both love. We love some we love us some yeah. golden Matt Corral. But absolutely golden Matt Corral. <laughs> <laughs> it was an offensive explosion. Both teams had over six hundred yards. Um, Ole Miss actually had less passing yards in Arkansas, which I did not have on my bingo card again. Not at not at all. <laughs> but obviously they did have 350 rushing yards, typically, obviously. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think Ole Miss is kind of I I wish we could get this Ole Miss team next year, but I think Matt Corral's done after this year. And so I would like to see this Ole Miss team run it back just because. But I don't think we'll get that. If there's something if there's something about Lane Kiffin though, it's that listen, yeah, he's the reason that Ole Miss is at this level is because it's a combination of Lane Kiffin's system, but the fact that he has quite possibly the best player available in college to run that system. Um, but I don't think there's going to be a massive drop off next year with whoever it is that he has waiting in the wings. It's not going to be as good because like we said, we love golden Matt Corral always open. It's a full buffet of yards when he's on the field, but I think that it's going to be okay next season. And I think one thing that this game told us Borba is that these are clearly the two two and three teams, like the second and third best teams in the SC West, hands down. And quite possibly, I love my Gators. I really do. But the way that the SEC is working right now, it's quite possibly Georgia 1, Alabama 2, and then Ole Miss and Arkansas in whatever order you want to put them in. And then there's an argument for Kentucky in there, and then there's an argument for Florida if you really want to make one that's not as good. So yeah. the SEC at the top level is, A, very surprising. I mean, you have your normal Georgia and Bama, but other than that, it's very surprising. Even though AM won this football game yesterday that we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. I don't think that they – I don't trust them in a game against Arkansas or Ole Miss the way both of those teams are playing. So I, I think that we had probably one of the better noon slate of games. That was a great um, noon slate. we've had in a while with, with, um, with the Red River – excuse me, with Red River and with Ole Miss, Arkansas. And if it wasn't for the number one team in the country, Alabama, losing at night, you know, we would be spending more of our time talking about Red River and Ole Miss, Arkansas. But it's just, it was a fantastic Saturday of college football. Um, yeah, man, it was it was fun. And we haven't even gotten to Iowa and Penn State yet. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the top five well, matchup. We'll, get, we'll get there right now. Let's go there. Iowa, Penn State, we're t- squaring off. Number three versus number four. Um, it was not the game that we were... I, Penn State had the lead, I would like to point out. But they lost Sean Clifford early on in the game, and his backup, I forget his name, did, was not ready for the moment. Um, which, I mean, it didn't look like Sean Clifford was really doing much either, but he was kind of game-managing Penn State to a win. Um, yeah, well, the, fact that, the fact that Sean Clifford was game-managing them, and they were up, I think it was 17-3 to at one point. The fact that they were up 17-3 to in the second quarter was a shock to me, because... 
I love this Iowa defense. And granted, when the backup came in for Penn State, it seemed like that Iowa defense turned back into that Iowa defense. But the fact that Sean Clifford was able to game manage his way to a 21-3 to lead in the second quarter before he gets hurt was incredible. And I think kudos to James Franklin um, for getting that out of his quarterback and, and stuff like that. So, again, with Penn State, yeah, they lost to Iowa, but I feel similarly about Penn State the way I do Texas. Not in the sense of the new coach and there's a bright future ahead, but mm-hmm. this season, so long as Clifford can come back, because clearly I think we, listen, we get on Clifford a lot for good reason, but he's better than whoever the backup is. If he can come back and he can get to that same level that he was earlier this season, Penn State could really make some noise. Maybe the Ohio State game is going to be a fun one. Maybe they see Iowa back in the Big Ten, in the Big 12, uh, Big Ten. Yep. <laughs> 14 teams, Big Ten, sorry. In the Big Ten title game at the end of the season, you never know. And so I, I think it was a good game in that sense. I loved Iowa's use of play action in this football game. Oh, they always Iowa use Iowa killed. I know, always- but, and I know that's – it's their bread and butter, I'm aware, but like it was working to a T out to the tight ends, slot receivers coming inside and running those quick slant routes, dropping in the dump off, getting out to the boundary, getting out to the sideline. Fantastic orchestration of an offense by Iowa. Oh, yeah. um, and it's what they needed because when you have a defense like they have, just dump it off, run that West Coast quick, quick, hold on to the football as long as you can. You know, it, it's good, clean Midwestern football. And they got the win at the end of the game. At the end of the day, so very, very uh, happy for them. Iowa, if like I'll, I'll do some recruiting for them. If you're a tight end and you want to go to the NFL, literally just go to Iowa. If you don't, you're stupid. Um, <laughs> Penn State, though, hey, don't I, disrespect. Don't disrespect Kyle Pitts like that. True, true. He's a freak, though. Thank you. Um, Penn Thanks. State, though, they they were in this game even with Sean Clifford. He was 15 for 25 for 146 yards and two picks. And they were in the. He was their leading rusher even after the injury. Like he rushed three times for thirty six yards, and their next leading rusher was went ten for thirty. And so mm-hmm. we, you, you and me have been watching Penn State closely because we didn't know if they were for real at the beginning of the year because Sean Clifford has never been for real. Well, he's been for real, but then he's not. And so I was expecting a Sean Clifford like sixty yard bomb at any time, and then he went down. And so I think if Sean Clifford stays healthy, we might be talking about this game on a different note. But like you said. Iowa State's defense, they rattled the living crap out of that sophomore or out of the the backup quarterback. He was 7 for 21 for 34 yards, averaging 1.6 yards per completion and two touchdowns. Like, they made his life a living hell, and he had no idea how to prepare. What Iowa's defense is arguably, I would put them at number two under Georgia, which hint, hint, is where they are in the AP rankings. Um, they're right. number two defensive-wise in the nation, and that's just not a defense where you, like, you don't get to come in against the Iowa defense and just hit a couple, okay, I'll hit a couple slants and we'll be good. No, it's like, they're going to make you work. And they made him work, and they made him uncomfortable. And I think Penn State is still a really solid team. Um, I think if they get Sean Clifford back, they will have their chance to redeem themselves because like you said, they still got to face off against a big time, big 10 gauntlet. Mm-hmm. I agree. No, I completely agree with all that you said completely. You ready to dive into the AP poll? Let's do it. Let's dive into okay. the AP poll, my friend. So we have a new number one for the first time all year and probably going into last season too. Cause I don't think Alabama was far off from that number one ranking all of last year. Georgia is the new no, number one. Go ahead. No, that's what I was going to say that Alabama, the loss to AM was their first loss since the Iron Bowl in 2019. Oh so they have Come not, I, I don't, can't remember the last time that they, uh, they were not the number one team in the country. So 
weird feeling. Um, but you know what? Sometimes teams have to fall. Like tight. I'm not saying Alabama is like done, but like sometimes I feel like every every program gets to a point where it's like, oh, this team is not gonna be our traditional be everybody and like we're gonna blow everybody out. Like this Alabama team is gonna have to work for it. You guys made them work for it in the swamp, and then obviously Texas A&M just made them work for it in Kyle Field. So basically, what they can't do is play away games. Hmm, interesting. Um, <laughs> Georgia's number one. Um, Iowa's number two. Cincinnati, who I know you were floored about, is number three. And this, if this were the playoff rankings, would be the first time a group of four, te- group of five team, excuse me, is in the playoff rankings. So take a look at these. If if this AP poll was the playoff rankings at the end of the season, it would be Georgia against Oklahoma, and then you would have Iowa against Cincinnati. That's a possible win for Cincinnati. Let that, let that sink in real quick. Incredible. Yeah. I, I love Cincinnati. I think that they're playing really well. And I think that it has something to say with the fact that they had a lot of players returning from that team last season, right? Mm-hmm. Not only that, but they kept Luke Fickle and that entire staff. So they were able to go ahead and make that adjustment. So I think they lost their defensive coordinator. He went to Notre Dame. But right. other than that, I mean, Luke Fickle runs the defense anyway. So like, who cares? Um, so, so he should be fine in that sense. And they are, and the defense is playing incredible. You know, their, their secondary is fantastic. Um, I think I, I'm just happy that we're finally getting proper rep, um, recognition for Cincinnati. Um, I do think that it, a lot of it has to do with the fact that it, uh, it is a weird college football season. A lot of pe- a lot of big time teams are losing. Um, it's, it's a two set 2007 esque college football mm. season. Um, and what will make it crazier is we need Georgia to drop a game. We need Iowa to drop a game. Um, Cincinnati needs to stay where they are um, just to make all the chaos and stuff. So I'm not surprised. I'm actually happy. Um, what I am surprised, I'm not surprised that they are. I'm surprised they're getting the recognition. I'm not surprised that they are the third best team in the country, if that makes sense. Right. No, that's what makes sense. And then they even have a chance because people are going to argue strength of schedule. They're going to play against SMU, who's currently ranked 23rd. And then they have a whole slate of the American Athletic Conference is no slouch. Obviously, it's no like SEC, but it's a good conference and they will have they will be tested. I think the worst thing for Cincinnati about their conference is everybody could be everybody on any given day. (laughs) And I'm worried that maybe one day they're going to drop a game against Tulsa because, you know, as soon as Cincinnati drops a game, they're plummeting down to the the teens and they will never reemerge again. Just that's just how we do a group of five teams. Even though they on. have road wins against Indiana and Notre Dame this season, but go ahead, continue. But they lo- they lost that one group of five teams, so they're just they're trash. That's how that's how people so, think. So Alabama lost to an unranked Texas A and M team who lost to Mississippi State. So what's I, that I'm, logic like then? I, I'm actually ple- I don't want to say please because it sounds like I'm praying on their downfall, but I'm actually surprised that Alabama came in at number five. I thought there would have been like they would have dropped to like three or something ridiculous and like they would have found like a way to keep Cincinnati out. Just like everybody shifts down a spot except Cincinnati doesn't go anywhere. They're just like mm, your your fifty two point win over Temple wasn't convincing. I just thought that was gonna happen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yep. So, so then we got Oklahoma at four, which I mean I think Oklahoma with Caleb Williams is a top four team. Oklahoma Spencer Rattler this is, yeah. I don't know. This this is a ranking of Oklahoma's second half with Caleb Williams. This is what and this is, which is fine because that's what I agree it should, with that. Could be going forward. That's what it should and be going forward. Alabama fell to number five. Ohio State number six. Penn State number seven. Michigan undefeated. Michigan number eight. Who they narrowly escaped. They narrowly did you escaped. Watch the end of that? I did. That was 
Nebraska is the best three now three and four team. I guess the best three and three team I've seen in a while. Their defense is there. This is this is so dangerous for the life for the longevity of Nebraska because Scott Frost is going to fumble his way to six and six, and they're going to be like, "Oh, well, we finally made a bowl game. It's improvement." And it's like you got to cut ties with him. Um, okay, but- at the end of the game, Adrian Martinez fumbled the football when all they needed to do was drive into field goal range, kick a field goal, and win. And then the opposite happened, and then Michigan did that, and so then they kind of wrapped the game up. And right, uh, Nebraska, hey, Nebraska, looking Nebraska, at, Nebraska. Looking at Nebraska's schedule, they play Minnesota, Purdue, Ohio State. That's going to be a tough one. Wisconsin and Iowa. They could easily win <laughs> three more games. <laughs> like they, six they could, six. yeah, they could easily win three more games. And I swear, if they a team that they can knock off, if any of them would be Iowa, just because they're Iowa's not a high scoring team. Crazy. A defensive that battle. Insane. That's the that's the last week. That's the last week of, of the season for them. So that would be that would be quite the game that would throw off the, all the rankings. <laughs> okay, yeah, and then and then we have Oregon, um, the highest ranked Pac-12 team. Honestly, the only good Pac-12 team. Michigan State, mm-hmm. who Mel Tucker, who I was very much against because he snaked call he hoed Colorado. Um, he left he left okay, them but- in the, he abandoned them. Yes. I, I I understand the move. It was a better move. It was a it, it was a, a move up rather than a move lateral, but it still Correct. doesn't sit right with me at the timing that he did it. But they are a really good team. Um, they have honestly Bijan Robinson is my is my top running back, but their running back is probably the second best running back in the nation. He's he's a dog. Absolutely, Heisman contender. Heisman contender. I mean, a lot of running backs out here. And then I'm Kentucky. gonna pause you there. I'm gonna pause you there at ten. Go ahead. There are there are five Big Ten teams in the top ten. There are, yeah. It's crazy. Five and Big Ten teams in the top ten for the first time ever. For the first time ever. And honestly, if you count Cincinnati, because, you know, they're in Ohio, they're they're like a de facto Big Ten team. It's really yep. six. So But here's the thing. This is what this is what sucks about the Big Ten is that all the talent is on one side of the conference. So all these teams play each other. So literally Penn State and Ohio State play each other in two weeks. And then Ohio State put their last two games of the season are against the Michigan teams. Yep. So I mean, this is I mean, why this is why like we talk about this is just going to work itself out. Like we'll, yeah, we will see what happens. We'll see what goes on. It'll it'll settle itself. But I think it's going to be a great like the Big Ten's last few weeks of the season might be better than any other conferences. Mm-hmm. And then we got Kentucky, who is six and oh, a very. They, I oh, don't wait think, a minute. Wait a minute. So you mean to tell me that Kentucky's a well-coached football team? Like wh- where have let I me, heard this before? Let, let me finish. Where let have me finish. I heard this before? The national people, the national media and college fans as a whole did not realize how good Kentucky was until they beat you guys. And even then, they were like, You're welcome. Well, You're welcome they're like, Kentucky. They're like, Florida's not it. And then Florida's it. Like, Florida's a really good team. But Kentucky yeah. is – Will Levis or Levi's? I, I think it's Levis. 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 Will Levis is not an elite quarterback by any means, but he gets the job done. He gets the job done with his arm, with his legs, and he's he's a winner. He's not he's not a game manager. He's above a game manager, but below like a high quality quarterback. He's in that in he's he's serviceable. He's good. He's serviceable, and I think he's perfect for a program like Kentucky. Who that's kind of what Mark Stoop wants. You know, mm-hmm. Mark Stoop. That's what he needs. That's kind of what he goes for. And so for me, I, I really think that he's a perfect fit for Kentucky, and it just shows just how well coached they are and how good they are. Um, and I think this week's result against LSU, I think it shows more a bit of what LSU really is rather than mm. what Kentucky is. Even though, like, hey, I'm glad they're getting the respect 
for beating up on a bad LSU team because the narrative is that, oh, LSU is LSU, but really LSU is a bad football team this season. So uh, I'm glad that they were able to take care of business in a game I thought they would. Um, so yeah, you know, who's, you know, who's salty, but I mean, again, hindsight's, hindsight's always 2020 when I make these statements, but what will, will Levis, will Levis was on Penn state's roster, but they never used him. I was going to say that I was going (laughs) to say that he transferred over. They would have, they could have used him this weekend, huh? I mean, who knows? Imagine this Penn state team with Will Levis and not Sean Clifford starting. You never know. Again, we never know. There's a reason he didn't get the job there. So Joe Burrow wasn't a star at Ohio state. And then he went to LSU. So sometimes they right. need that. That need that. They yeah. need that. Next okay. up, they have o- Oklahoma State, who, in my opinion, is one of the more overrated teams. They're twelfth. Um, their only win is over Baylor. Um, that's the only impressive win. Other than that, they've beaten Missouri State by seven, Tulsa by five, Boise State by one, and then Kansas State's third string quarterback by eleven. Um, I really don't know what to expect from this Oklahoma State team. Um, we'll find out this week, I guess. But Oklahoma State has yeah. not been wowing me by any means. And then Ole Miss, who just dropped their game to Arkansas, number 13. Notre Dame, number 14, which just makes me laugh because this might even be too high for Notre Dame. <laughs> I agree. Listen, I think, let me let me, let me me just fast forward for you. Florida's yeah. at 20, mm-hmm. and as a Florida fan, there are a lot of teams here that I would consider us better than. Um, oh, yeah. But I, I understand the fact we have two losses, and even though our two losses are I think in a vacuum, if you take everyone, every two loss teams, two losses, we have the best two losses. You know what I mean? That's fair. I think I think we can no, make I, a we can make an argument with you. Arkansas, you can make an argument. Your argument, yeah, yeah, for sure. Tech, Arkansas and Oklahoma is a definite argument. I, I agree. Um, but like, oh, yeah. look, I'll go forward for you. Notre Dame at fourteen, Coastal fifteen, Wake sixteen, Arkansas seventeen, Arizona State eighteen, BYU nineteen, Florida twenty. I can tell you right now, Florida is a better football team than BYU, Arizona State, Arkansas, Wake Forest, Notre Dame, Oklahoma State. We're probably even with Kentucky, and then I'm not going to touch the top 10. But the one I skipped was Coastal Carolina because I'm not sure if we play head-to-head. That's one of those system things where I don't know how it's going to go. Um, they, but I think run, we're, they, we have better talents and stuff. So they run that funky triple option where they actually throw the ball. So <laughs> yeah, it's like a triple. It's like a triple option with like a throwing the ball jetpack strapped on it, and so that's what they do. <laughs> yeah, and so like so you stop us at twenty, and then Texas A and M is right below you guys. North Carolina State, who's had a really good season, but is not getting any respect, and then SMU, who SMU is, is one of those teams where they're just going to keep beating up everyone. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe what if SMU goes undefeated and then beats Cincinnati that last week? Do they get playoff consideration? I know we'd have that's a long ways away, but they beat TCU. I don't. I don't think they do. I don't think they do. I know they beat TCU, but what happened? They beat TCU at home, number one, hmm. and number two, Cincinnati has road wins over Indiana and Notre Dame in back to back games. So it, I think be, and plus that'd be a great win. The eye test, the eye test, and the roster test and stuff. Cincinnati looks better. Cincinnati um, mm-hmm. is playing well. And I know that this isn't the way it's supposed to be, but it's the reality of the situation. Cincinnati has last season as like a jet pack to kind of strap themselves on. I disagree with how that's done. If yep. I was in that position, that's not how I would be ranking the teams. But I understand that that is what the consensus, the unspoken consensus is. Um, mm-hmm. And so, no, I don't think they get consideration. But an American championship came between SMU and Cincy. That's must watch television. In the words of I Lane didn't... Kiffin, get your popcorn ready. I mean, 
just don't don't say that before the game and expect to win, I guess. <laughs> then we the rounding out the top twenty five, San Diego State at five and zero, and then us at Texas at twenty fifth, which I feel like is fair. Um, we'll we'll fight for that I ranking agree. this week when we when we play against uh, number twelve Oklahoma State. So it'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, before we wrap up our show, we like to do one minute of talking about our team. So Sergio, Florida was not really in the national spotlight this week, so give us give us some Florida education. So. Florida played in the noon spot, which is the same time spot that Red River and um, Ole Miss, Arkansas was going on. So, and we played Vanderbilt. So clearly, you know, just not in the national interest. But I, because I am a Florida fan, um, I watched the game and I had to go. I what? So what I did was I had the Florida game on my TV and Red River on my iPad. And then after the game, I went back and I watched Ole Miss, Arkansas highlights. And then I went back and watched play by play stuff like that. Um. One thing that happened this week is we won 42 to nothing, um, but the first half seemed a bit weird. It felt like the team needed to kind of get jump-started. And Mullen was not and pleased with Emory Jones at halftime. Mullen was not happy. He was not happy not just with Emory Jones, but with AR as well, because AR got some some packages and some snaps as well. And he was not happy with the defense. And in the second half, we came out and scored 28 points in the third quarter. So I think it worked. <laughs> Definitely worked. But what I liked was Mullen's aggressiveness. Was Mullen really saying we need to play better, have accountability, because that's what the Florida fan base has been asked, excuse me, has been asking for all season long. It's been too much of, we're good, we're fine, we just need to execute, we just need to execute. Now it was, this team's playing bad and we need to do it. And this was in the midst of a 42 to nothing victory over That's some Nick Saban stuff right there. That's stuff that Nick Saban does. He was upset and then went over Mercer. Agreed. And it's something that we want to see more often as Florida fans. Um, because I don't think Dan Mullen is at the Nick Saban level because I don't think anyone is at the Nick Saban no, level. No, But Florida fans the mindset, want to... The mindset. The mindset, exactly. And I, I think that was a good step forward. Now we have to go on the road and play LSU in Death Valley. And I know that they're not a good football team, but it's a tough atmosphere. And clearly we've seen how Florida does in tough atmospheres. We don't always walk away with the victory. Um, and then after that, it's a bye week and then Georgia. So I would want that mentality to keep going. There's not much to say about X's and O's about this football game. Emory Jones had a career high in pass yards and touchdown yards. And when Anthony Richardson was in, was struggling against Arkansas, um, against Vanderbilt. So I don't want to hear any, I don't want to hear anymore about the, we're not winning because Anthony Richardson should be starting. Absolutely not. You're not watching football. You're not watching TV. My my concern for you guys is, which I feel like it's been like this for a while now. You never have Mm -hmm. the running back. Your leading rusher is Emory Jones, followed by Anthony Richardson. And so, yeah, but I'm not worried about that. It doesn't matter, but I think to have a confident running game would put you guys over the edge, like a confident, like, no, 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 but I, we have a confident running game. It's just not the way that everyone else sees it as they want no, it to I be. Know. We but don't like, have I, one running back that needs that needs to get all the touches. We have a really good stable and we have two quarterbacks that can run the football well. And I think I know, Mullen does that by design as a way I'm confident in this run game. Like I would, I, I'm I would like to strong on that. I would like to see you guys get like, remember when you had LaMichael P Ryan? Yeah, I like like if you had a guy like him, I think you guys need to you. I, I feel like that would put you guys you're currently 20th. That would get you guys top 10 automatically. Like you would be a top 10. Team. I think I think a bit uh, a bell cow running back is what sets you guys apart. I, j- I feel like there's a lot of pressure on the quarterbacks to do everything. And I feel like if you take that pressure off of them a little bit, I'm not saying you need like a B. John Robinson. Everybody could use a B. John Robinson, but not everybody could have one. And I think if you guys could get one, that would that would put you guys over the top. But I mean, you know the team better than I do. I just, I just wish Florida had a running back where I was like, 
Yes, that that's what's going to get them in the top ten this year, or like so currently. So currently in rushing offenses, Florida is third in the country behind Air Force and Army, two teams mm-hmm. that run the triple option. We have yep. 6.67 yards per rush, 15 rushing touchdowns, and rush for over 273 yards per game. So I push back that, strongly that, on that. That's, a, that's your quarterbacks, though. That's your quarterback. But it doesn't matter. It's the, it's a rushing game, though. I know, but I'm saying the who, a who running cares, back. Who cares where the person lines up if we're rushing the football at six yards a game? A carry? Okay, but do you who want cares? Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson taking those hits every single time? I'm just saying to have a nice one stalled running back would be worlds better than having a committee. But that's all I'm saying. But it's it's not. But that's the thing. It's not just those two quarterbacks. It's Damian Pierce. It's Naquan Wright. It's Malik Davis. It's Demarcus Bowman. We have a stable of guys that get the ball, and collectively, we're rushing for six and a half, seven yards. No, it's fair. It's fair. I'm just, I I just, I disagree that you're, you, you want this one. You want us to have not Bijan Robinson himself, obviously, but like a Bijan Robinson type that you can rely on every single down. I kind of like the fact that we diversify that so much. I'm a proponent. The third best rushing offense in the country. I'm a proponent of having a guy who is surrounded by guys like Bijan Robinson is a guy surrounded by guys, which we didn't use at all. That's another mm-hmm. story for a different day. Our other running backs combined right. for zero carries, zero touches to nice. at that. So that was fun. Um, but I, but, I don't know. But Florida I, should have one every down back, right? Right. Not every down. That's not what I said. I said, they would, <laughs> they, if they had a back who was surrounded, cause you do have a lot of guys in the stable. You guys are mm-hmm. at least six people deep at running back, five people deep. And so, because uh, Demarcus Demarcus doesn't get as many touches, so I would say five people deep get regular okay. touches between so the two quarterbacks get, and three running backs. I would just like, like you know how demoralizing it would be to like say I'm gonna use the Michael P. Ryan as an example. You throw him out mm-hmm. there, he rushes twice, then you you pass a couple times, and then you keep running the ball with, and you just keep switching like every three carries or something. Like I feel like your guys' offense would move at like an elite rate more so than it already is at an elite rate. Like your offense would be one of the best, if not the best, in the nation with if a bell cow running just, back. I'm just saying it's just not no no but I understand what you're saying but that's just not a the way that the Mullen offense is designed I know Mullen's and in his B, ways which it works but and and it's B, weird. your your argument is just like I'm shooting down your argument because you keep saying that you would have one of the best offenses in the country yet we are the third best rushing team in the country and the only two teams in front of us are triple option teams no, so I get it just it. doesn't make it. sense I get it. Okay. All right. We're running. Just, we're going to have to just agree to disagree, but it's, it's just like a personal preference of having one guy surrounded by guys. Like, okay. okay. Uh, I like having that one elite guy, like Najee Harris mm-hmm. surrounded by whoever. It's just, it's just mm-hmm. a personal preference. Uh, Kenny Brooks w- went off yesterday, surrounded by Eric Gray. You know, it's just, I don't know. It's just a weird thing I have. I have a weird fetish for running backs that have backups that are like top tier. So then that brings us to my one minute of shine, I guess. Um, we talked about this a lot, so I'll keep it short. Honestly, we didn't, I think the thing that frustrated me the most was our game management. Um, our, our motto is all gas, no breaks. And it looked a lot like all breaks, no gas at times after we beat that, after we built that lead. Um, something that really frustrated me. I don't know if you, you were watching Florida games, so I don't know if you saw this moment, but end of the second quarter, um, we had the ball and they're on their 30 ish with about 29 seconds to go. We ran a play, let the clock run down to 14, called timeout. We still had a timeout remaining, ran another play. The clock was at six, and rather than calling a timeout and running one more play, 
we let the clock run down to two and go for, went for a field goal. Yeah, I saw and that. So I saw that. I, th- I think we if we go for a touchdown there, that obviously we have one more touchdown on the board. So who knows what happens after that? Um, that's also us putting a touchdown on the board with Oklahoma having no chance to answer immediately because then they have to go cool down for 20 minutes or whatever, how long halftime is. Mm-hmm. That frustrated me. Um, the defense, obviously they didn't prepare for Caleb Williams, but they knew that the, they knew when he came in the game that he was the one that could run. So figure it out. Like, obviously that is our weakness is r- strong running games like Arkansas's and Oklahoma's now and quarterbacks who can run. And so if you have a mobile quarterback and a good running back, you're going to do well against us. We gave up 300 yards rushing against both those teams. And then, mm-hmm. then the game management in the fourth quarter, we had, there was a roughly four minutes left in the game. And we were fourth and 11. And this is at a time where the offense was not doing much. We go for it in their end zone or in their red zone. That's the time to kick the field goal. Like not the time where we have an opportunity and momentum to score a touchdown. Cause at that point in the fourth quarter, Texas had no momentum. Like it felt like the offense, like any, any positive play was like a surprise. So I definitely think that kicking the field goal there would have worked because either way you have to rely on the defense to get a stop. Because if you don't get it, then Oklahoma gets the ball there, which they did. And we got to stop. Or if we kick a field goal, make the field goal, then Oklahoma gets the ball and has to try to go down the field again. It was just the mismanagement. Um, I think that was the worst mismanagement I've seen under Sarkeesian so far. Um, I think I think Lincoln Riley outcoached him, and I think that was the first time he's been that much outcoached this season and probably in his career. Uh, well, I would say he was outcoached in the Arkansas game as well, but no, it I, makes sense I, that the two losses are the games, in my opinion, that he was outcoached. I, I don't know if Arkansas was a very well coaching display, but I think it was just a display of how poor our offensive line was and how like they were getting us with a three man rush. There, no amount in coaching right. like is going to like, yeah, like I'll true. give them props, yeah, right. but like if you're beating us with a three man rush every play, like that's not on coaching. That's mm-hmm. just like our five is not greater than their two, their three, which five is greater than three if you're not good at math, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it was just rough. And so, this week against Oklahoma State will be a big test. Spencer Sanders is a mobile quarterback, and they have a good running back. And uh, his last name is Warren. I forget his first name. But they have a good running back who's rushed for 200 yards multiple times. And so it'll be a good test for the Texas defense if they can actually make an adjustment. Yep. For so sure, that's, what for we, sure. that's what we got. It's time to go watch some Sunday football. I know your Dolphins might might have a good game on their hands, maybe. No, my guy. There are two minutes left in the fourth quarter, and it is 45-17 to 17 with Tampa leading. So... Uh, uh, I'm not, uh, I, I'm trying to be yeah, positive. Not you. expecting this. I was trying to be you know, positive. I appreciate it, but I'm more concerned with the U S national team game at six o'clock. That's where my, who do we got? Who's going to, we got that Jamaica win the other Panama. day. Panama. Panama. Okay. That Jamaica win. Panama. Two, two nil. Panama. Two nil. Oh, in Panama. Uh-uh. Little, in little Panama. hostile. No, I'm saying the Jamaica win was two zero. Um, the Jamaica win. Yeah. Pepe. Yeah. Hey, every time this yeah. Team USA has pl- team plays, it's impressive because it's like, I feel like the last, except for the major tournament, or major, air quotes major, the tournament that we won, it feels like we've been without our key, like our core group. Like Pulisic has been down. Yeah. So it's impressive. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we're, we're diverse on this podcast. We'll talk to you about soccer, basketball, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you guys International for International soccer is my thing apart from college football, so yes, I definitely could spend time on it. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the Tailgaters Podcast. I'm Kevin. He's Sergio. Get this podcast wherever you download your podcast, and we'll see you guys next week.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.